Welcome to the Creative Condition Podcast, the show where I, Ben Talon, illustrator and writer, invite people from the creative industry and far beyond to share their story of creativity, both the nature and the nurture, the chaos and the calm. Creativity is a fundamental pillar of human happiness, something I'm increasingly fascinated by. It is so often misunderstood. So little by little, I hope to build an archive of valuable stories, experiences and tips to help you maximise yours. Today I'm talking with author Susan Erland. Susan is the author of eco-horror fantastic novel, Earthly Bodies. And she's also got a new short story collection called Dark is the Water and Other Weird Tales coming out. Susan has a really interesting winding path that I think you'll find it really, really valuable to hear. And why these things take longer for certain people and why we have to live life and get fed by all that inspiration. And sometimes these things just happen in their own time. Welcome back to the Creative Condition Podcast. Thank you for listening. I am Ben Talon, your host. How are things? I hope you're well. Just a quick thank you to the supporters of the show, illustrationx.com. Those guys were the valuable founding sponsors of the Creative Condition Podcast way back when it was Arrest All Mimics in 2016. They support a whole range of creative professionals, animators, illustrators, lettering specialists, cartoonists, you name it, go and check them out illustrationx.com. They provide an industry insight for every episode and today I'm going to look, as ever, at my guest's story. And this one, it's Susan Earlham, author of Earthly Bodies and the upcoming brilliant Dark is the Water and Other Weird Tales short horror story collection. Susan's got a really great winding path and it took her, like I, a number of years to start writing before she realised it was something she wanted to do, that she could be good at it and all those things. And I think there's a great lesson in her story, which is that we're all on our own timelines. We all have to live life and that throws up challenges. And sometimes things don't go as we expect. You know, maybe we have parenthood too soon. Maybe we only start to study later in life. Maybe we have injury, illness. Maybe there are different roadblocks that I've never even considered in the way there. Or maybe it's just a good, you know, emphatic, troubleless journey that takes you a little while to sift through other things that you like before you get there. But whatever the story is, I think be patient and understand that these things can only happen from the place that you currently are and where, where you're going is just come about through that creativity. So be patient. That's the lesson today. Thank you to illustrationx.com and other support of the show, the Association of Illustrators. You can find those guys doing great work to support the illustration industry over at the AOI.com. So how have you been? What have you been up to? I hope you're all coping with the uh, the darkness that's going on out there at the moment with the war and the COVID remnants. And ah, uh, it keeps on coming, doesn't it? I've been... Um, See what's quite interesting. I've been writing quite in depth for my next non-fiction book, which is called The Creative Condition, same as this podcast. And it's a deep dive into the behaviour and the nature of creativity. And one thing that I have been writing about is adversity and creativity. And while we would never choose to have any of the misfortunes in our lives or the hurdles we have to clear, there is silver linings and there and there is an innate value to... Um, any emotion on the negative spectrum and it's something I've been looking at quite in depth and you know why in times of whether it's war times or in times of personal heartbreak or bereavement and loss we often surprise ourselves with the way we create or the ideas we have or the or even just perhaps the learnings or the tenacity that we're given 
in experiencing and going through those troubles. So like I said, you you know, you could never manufacture them. As I said to Susan in, Susan in this conversation, you know, you don't ever wake up and go, you know what, I need to be, uh, I need to be gutted today. I need to be really angry about something. You don't choose the, those things. You don't get access to them readily. However, life happens. I think it was John Lennon, or at least the quote gets attributed to John Lennon that says, life is, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. And I think there's a certain mindset to that. There's a, um, there's a great story that Chuck Palahniuk, author of Fight Club, tells, and I think it was on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, and he says about the glass, the glass half full thing and how you have to get used to seeing the good in even the worst of things because otherwise you kind of go under with the adversity in life. And he, he you know, Chuck Palahniuk being like he is, anyone who's read his books will know that he doesn't pull any punches and he can be quite grotesque, quite hard-hitting, and that's what's wonderful about his writing. But Chuck said... Um, he said there's a quote and he, he was talking about how his father was badgering him to be introduced to Winona Ryder back in 1998, I think he was. And Chuck said, I said, look, Dad, I'm not, I'm not going to introduce you to Winona Ryder because he said, I knew that my dad would just hit on her and it would be absolutely horrendous to be there when my dad hit on Winona Ryder. And then he said, I found out my father had been murdered. And he said, really embarrassingly, one of my first thoughts was, I'm off the hook with the Winona Ryder thing. <laughs> And I thought it was so bleak and so dark, but so Chuck Palahniuk. But it's also really illustrative of how you have to see life and how you have to kind of tackle adversity. But there you go. Um, that's my take on, on the troubles of the world and how we have to keep on keeping on and, and, and kind of use our creativity as an outlet. Um, so today's guest, Susan Earlham. I wanted to have Susan on the show because not only is she a brilliant writer and a really interesting person, and she's got a great new short story collection coming out called Dark is the Water. But Susan has a really interesting, winding, longer trajectory, and it's not one-dimensional. So Susan used to do lifestyle blogging and um, started off as kind of vintage um second-hand kind of stuff and just these days out she would have and the acquisition of these things she'd get for her home and then it kind of went into more interiors and she talks about how that turned her a little cold how it became a kind of sponsorship thing and about um commerce and um what's the word and about uh I've gone blank on the word, but it's it became a bit more of a business thing. It became a bit more of a, oh, you sponsor our product and talk about this. And she lost the love for it. And it, in a roundabout way, led her to writing. And then she went on to write a brilliant debut novel um, that I'm on the cusp of finishing. I'm 40 pages from the end as I, as I speak of uh, Earthly Bodies. It's an eco-horror novel. And um, it's absolutely brilliant. And I would recommend it to anyone. So... Um, check that out but yeah went on to write that through this very winding road and i think there's great value in any any of these longer roads and these kind of stop start or maybe you had to go a certain way to get to a certain place rather than a straightforward path you know neither is right or wrong but i love sharing these kind of stories especially because i think that um people learn from them you know people who have maybe not quite got where they want to go just yet and it's taking them a little longer or i always think you're on the right path in a certain way but you have to um persevere and be patient and I just I think Susan's story is a really great example of that so I hope you're going to enjoy talking about this today um keep an eye out for a book if you're on Goodreads if you're a book nerd like me you can go out there and get it on your want to read list now it's going to be available to pre-order for ebook very soon and I think the paperback pre-order is out there now so I, I got a complimentary copy from Susan to go and review um this is a thing within the kind of indie publishing market we have to deal with all this that 
all aspects of things from creating the book to having it edited to designing the cover um, to the rest of everything really um, and I loved it I loved it so I went and wrote a review over on Goodreads and I think it's brilliant they're very anyone who read my book your mum will know about um, the kind of short snappy flash fiction vignette style stories often they don't really start in any one place they don't really end anywhere and it just gives you this very tertiary um, deep mood and it's often it's quite Susan's a real ability to unsettle and never really get to an end point. And I think, you know, I, I saw one person who reviewed the book quite unfavorably on that basis, and I thought it was a little harsh personally, but then we do talk about the critical review thing and how it is all subjective, and you have to let people bash you if that's how they feel about your work. And there's a vulnerability about that when it comes to selling a product and putting a story out there that's your own. But I loved it. I gave it five stars, and it was very genuine. I, I don't, you know, I think there's a... We don't just kind of kiss asses in, in, in the writing world. I think there's a feeling that you have to be legitimate. And if you're going to give a book five stars, you have to mean it. You know, you have to love it. But I love Susan's collection, so I do recommend it. Anyone who's a horror fan, it's very um, ambient almost. Um, what's the word? What's the word? Ephemeral? It kind of builds, she has a wonderful way of building this layered mood that unsettles and unnerves and then bang, it's on to the next thing. And I love that, I love the pace of it. So I do recommend it to anyone. Uh, but I could sit and bang on about Susan's work all day. Uh, go out and check out her books. We get talking in about the whole indie publishing thing and why we both chose to go that road. Um, but more importantly, like any podcast on this show, we talk about creativity and about our, our views on that. So I hope you enjoy it. Let me know, check us out. Hit me up on the social at Ben Talon. Um, I'm on Instagram as Ben Talon or Ben Talon Writer. Follow both if you're feeling greedy. <laughs> and um, I'll get Susan's contact in the show notes. Enjoy. Well, let's go. Let's go. Let's get into background. It's always a nice starting point to hear about people's um, early days. What's what was your family setup? Were you uh, were you from a traditionally creative or artistic family? Uh, from a working working class family, really. Um, my dad was like an engineer at Manchester Airport for like the whole time of my childhood. So shift work really in the hangars and on the bag, fixing the baggage system and doing all those sorts of jobs. Proper full on DIY dad. Yeah. Um, my mum was sort of stay at home mum and then she sort of went back to work part time. Um, but both of them were, are, so both around thankfully, um, both of them are creative they're always you know my mum especially drawing really good artists like you know with charcoals or pencils and getting mm. me and my brother to do the same and you know when we were playing it was always let's make some um play-doh and it was always making something whether it's like baking a cake or making a picture or building a tent or building a den or it's always sort of something where it was creative, really. It was creative, but they weren't in creative jobs at all. And I think that's a generational thing where they couldn't make those sorts of choices. Um, and they probably both would have wanted to in a way as well. But yeah, so I think it was a creative childhood and they're very much creative thinkers as well, like problem solvers, you know, mm. which might not necessarily look artistic, but it's about how you approach, how you approach things that life throws at you, you know? Yeah. You're absolutely right. This came up. This came up on a chat I had with Craig Oldham, who's a designer based in Manchester, and um, he was talking about how creativity was all around him in that same way. So he said, mm -hmm. like his granddad. It was funny how he described it. He's got like the, the thickest Barnsley accents, Craig, and he was 
talking about how his granddad would just, you know, rustle around in a drawer and, and what did he say? Pull out like a roll of tape, some glue, the key that nobody knew what it opened and find a, just a way to use it to fix another problem. And, and, and growing up yeah. around that sensibility meant he was surrounded by creativity in its purest form. Whereas this is something I've been writing about in this new nonfiction book is that the, the biggest and earliest mistake a lot of people make is to confuse being artistic with creativity. Mm. Creativity being a, a fundamental human trait. Artistic 100%. being uh, something that some of us are more inclined to be than others. You know. I think also for for me, well, for my in my particular situation, is that there wasn't a lot of money around when we were kids, and a lot of the creativity is born out of needing to be have these strange solutions to like problems where they might cost a lot of money, but they found a a workaround. It's almost like that sort of DIY punk sort of I'll do it myself. I don't want you know anybody else to sort of tell me what to mm. do I'll find my own way of doing it we'll we'll go camping rather than you know go to hotels or because it was it's almost about that kind of self-starter and not be not be sort of told what to do by the man you know it's kind of that sort of natural rebellion that I think a lot of creative people have anyway as well yeah, well, these are, that, that what that creates is a culture of constant tiny hurdles, doesn't it? Uh, mm. You know that you have to overcome, which invariably means you are able to think on your feet quicker and problem solve. And would you say that that led to you being someone who who? I mean, did it normalise making and creativity for you? Oh, totally. Um, I think. I mean, I went down a very creative route. I was, always, I was always quite good at school and stuff, so I could have really done whatever I wanted, but I really wanted to do art and I ended up doing fine art at uni. And um, I don't, my mum and dad never said, oh, you're going to get, you know, you need to get, you do the Mickey Mouse course or, you know, whatever that sort of phrasing. But they never did that, even though they were both working class and both sort of knew that you needed to bring in money. It was, they never sort of tried to put me off it at all you know it was always like they encouraged it and they they knew that you know if they didn't encourage it I'd probably just go and do it anyway but without their support and you know you know distance myself from them you know so it's kind of just I think you have to do that with your kids otherwise you end up losing them so it's kind of just making sure that they trust you and that creativity is part of that trust I think because I can, you know, think on my feet and I, I'm always thinking of weird solutions to things that, you know, even just things like house layouts or room layouts. It's all, at all is kind of, or pa just parenting in itself. That's creative in itself because you're having to think of solutions all the time, you know? And it's just, yeah, what it's, it's a framework for it's life skills, really. That's, yeah. you know, Again, it's that thing of boxing creativity is this thing that some people can do and some people can't. It's crazy. It's our species is, but you know, our intelligence makes us creative. We have to be. Yeah. That. That's what we do. And how do we do? How do we invent fire or the wheel? <laughs> do you know? Exactly. That's it. Yeah. But I do. I love that. I love it. And Craig referred to uh, to it as called kitchen table creativity because he he did this beautiful book um, on the miners' strike because his his parents were at the, the heart of that so it kind of destroyed the the community in barnsley when they when they closed the mines and everything 
but what he saw was everyone in for the cause and making all the signs about the strike and everything using tape and felt pens and whatever else. Mm. And, and everyone was in on it. And some of the solutions were amazing pieces of design as well. But I love that, you know, it's just working with what you've got and it's finding solutions to things and you can apply that far and wide in life. I think as well, um, just going on from what you've just said about the other chap being interviewed, it's also creativity gives you this, this perhaps that this hope when you haven't got maybe not have not sorry I can't speak when you've not got maybe a lot in your life or there's not a lot of hope to be found if you can be creative and make something out of nothing literally in some cases mm-hmm. it's like it can give you that hope and it's like um you see it in times you know in times of war people still need to be creative to to live to like bring joy to others and to share stories and share their hopes and stuff because that's what keeps us all going at the end of the day mm, it's expression isn't it so you know it's a mm. self-expression so it's a, it's a, not only is it an outlet but it's a way to communicate and it's also it's purpose and um it's a beautiful thing you know it's belonging as well the biggest buzz i've always had from it is that kind of just feeling belonging to something and and feeling a part of it and i'll never forget like the buzz of walking into art college after having the kind of um, shackles will be a strong word, <laughs> but you know, the parameters of school, uh, the mm. uniform and the classroom and the scheduled sessions and the grades and everything else to so suddenly walk into an environment where people can go and drink coffee and go to the toilet when they want. And the simple things like that and yeah. being a big open room with access to tutors, yeah. you like an adult and everything. I and just, all the different materials that you have access to oh, as well. It's yeah. like, wow, I've never used that before. Let's try this. And yeah. You know. Yeah. I, never, I never wanted to leave that that buzz behind enough. So I've mm-hmm. con- it's probably been the biggest reason for chopping and changing like I do is that chasing that magic, you know? Mm. And, and I think that's just like you said, there are times of war and strife and everything. It's It keeps us sane a little bit, you know? Totally. Whether, yeah, it's, yeah. The, whether it's the shared love of a book or as simple as distraction, there are many reasons for it, but it's, I think it is something that makes us quite happy on a, a different lot of levels. Yeah, I think what? that's um, one. Sorry, were you were going to say. No, something? no, no. Sorry, I left into. I was just going to say one of the reasons. It's one of the things that I'm quite sort of not angry. I suppose it is angry, but the whole thing about the government doing less funding for creative courses, even in university and in schools, it's just really like it's the opposite of what should be happening. You know, it's like if we're if we're not having any creative people, then where are all the future books going to come from? Where are all the future artworks or you know architectural brilliant designs or bridges or anything where's it all going to come from if we're not actually investing in it yeah who's going to design their wanky restaurants yeah. <laughs> you know it's no you're right though it's, it's incredibly naive and um you know it's just uh on god I'm constantly banging the drum about this but it is it's short-sighted and to do that at a time when there's already a mental health crisis for all yeah, oh, god, yeah. in the world you know it's beggar's belief but then you know i'm not going down the, the conspiracy route but it does lead me to think that actually does it benefit government to have people who are not empowered and not you know independent mm. thinkers don't know that's a whole other conversation i mean i think i think people will always be creative anyway whether there's a university course in that subject or not mm-hmm. they'll still be creative but it's just the lack of um sort of validation i suppose yeah f- from people in charge about this being a good career or do you know what I mean yeah and access does it because you know like my I was yeah. chatting to uh, my old tutor Steve who ran the illustration degree at Preston for over 20 years and he's recently retired and he talked about you know he's the, he can 
kind of see it becoming a, a rich person's game again, as mm. in the kids from you know families who can support and pay for those exorbitant fees. Does it go back to that being you know whereas the rest of us have to find beg, steal, or borrow methods to um, to use our creativity? Who knows? I just try to ignore my student loan statement every yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's this very <laughs> thing that drops through the door with a wallop i'm just hoping uh, martin lewis the money saving expert guy is going to somehow over magic wand and just get rid of them all <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love that so so what was your path then so you studied fine art yeah i did um obviously school until i was 16 and then i did um a course that i don't think exists anymore but it was an advanced level GVQ in art and design, which was like three or four A-levels in one sort of course. So it was just basically full-time mm. um, art, art and design, basically. And I did loads, so much stuff on that at Stockport College. And I absolutely loved the um, loved my tutors, loved the actual studios. Just like you were saying, there's so much space in art studios and it's like all those different materials you can get and all the all the tutors whose brains you can pick about what they've done with their lives and how they've managed to get where they are or whatever and from then my tutors were like oh you should go to london that's where it all that's where it all is you know if you're gonna try and make it in the art world you need to be in london so i did look at preston actually i did visit preston and i did like it um but then i ended up at kingston um, mm -hmm. which unbeknown to me at the time, it's like the most expensive student union in the whole of the UK. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> that was not a good idea in hindsight. Obviously, you know, I wouldn't change it all, but I've got no regrets. But it was an expensive place to live and an expensive place to socialise. And it, it was, you know, it was on the edges of London, but it wasn't in London. But we did go to London all the time. Mm. And yeah, and then I stayed in London when I finished. Even on that, actually, I started by the time I was in my third year, I was making videos and a lot of the videos had text in them and they were people's sort of stories and they were overheard conversations, which is so sort of sort of sort of similar to what you do in a way. But it's those snatches of like, you know, either made up conversations or are they real and you don't you don't really sure. But um, so I was already using a lot of text in my artwork and a lot of sort of storytelling in that way with through video and then I finished and then I sort of stayed in London for about six months and was like I've got no money I've got you know just like it was just one of those where yeah London's great but I actually just need to be back up north yeah. so because it's just friendlier um in my opinion but so I just came back up and moved back in with my parents and then worked in retail for a bit, which I think is the story of so many mm -hmm. sort of art graduates. It's like, oh, I've ended up in retail or I've ended up in a cafe, but you have, I think in a way, at the time I didn't think this, but like within hindsight, you do have to sometimes do those jobs because it, it, it facilitates you still being able to do the rest on the side, even if I might not have been at the time. Um, you know, you do have to sort of fund your creativity somehow and if you're not making money through your creativity you still need to live so you know there's no shame in having jobs in retail or jobs in um coffee shops or whatever Absolutely uh, not. i think it's i actually think it's really good for somebody you know it's, yeah. it's an individual choice but i think i know people who choose to do it because they don't mm. love the solitude of, of the work mm. at home or being an illustrator or whatever they are um 
And but there's there's no, it's you know, I, I don't I think too many people see it as some sort of failure or like backward step where it's yeah. not like where are you gonna get your stories from? You know, yeah, where so are you gonna one of those people I think I did see it as a failure at the time, to be honest. I was like, you know, in my early twenties and was like, Oh, I'm about to move back in with my parents and I'm working at, you know, a shop in Manchester Airport and getting up at stupid o'clock to do the stupid shift works. And it was just all like, you know, crisis. 20 early 20s crisis um but then sort of i think i did that for maybe a couple of years and then i retrained again so i retrained in the evenings to do makeup so i was a makeup artist for a bit and then i got a job in one of these on one of these really fancy cosmetic counters in manchester and i worked there and then at that point i met the person who'd be end up being my husband and when i met him it was very much like oh, this is it, you know, and I need to sort of think about the future now. I can't just work as a, as a, as a counter girl. I want to have a family and I don't want this to be my job. And I still want it to be creative. So that's when I trained to be a teacher. So I've done quite a lot of training. So I did a PGCE um, and ended up being a teacher for a couple of years, art, art teacher, like, you know, secondary school. Um, and and but but the jobs I was getting because everyone who who comes to train on this particular PGCE is like one of the best in the country, and I just happened to live really close by, so it wasn't a big deal for me. So I just got on, did the PGCE. But people had come from all over to do this PGCE, and then they all ended up living in Manchester afterwards because they all loved it. But then there's no jobs, there's no art and design jobs in Manchester because everyone's come to do this course and then they all want to stay so oh. <laughs> it's art and design jobs in like scotland or you know some yeah. random places but but so they should have gone back to the places where they lived and say and you know so how would so but anyway it wasn't you know it wasn't to be so the jobs i ended up having after i finished doing that were all maternity covers so i did like three months here three months here six months here a year at another place uh, all different schools which was you know great and i really i did enjoy teaching and then and you know if ever if ever had to go back to it i probably would but it, it i did find it quite a lot of report writing and it was it was it was never as much teaching as what i wanted it to be do you know what i mean it was a lot of paperwork and a lot of stuff i didn't really sort of sign up for in a way but anyway and then i had kids so then it was like i had kids and i didn't have a job to go back to so it was a case of what, what should we do? And I was in the situation where my husband was earning enough for me not to have to go back uh, or not to have to find a new job because that's what it would have been basically. I would have been technically unemployed and then gone to try and find a new job. So in the end, I didn't go back and I started a blog in like 2010. And then that just sort of, I just kept writing on there and I just kept sharing and started getting money for it and started getting, um, started doing events for different things and got it just yeah so it's just sort of interior was it yeah interior? it wasn't it wasn't interior straight away at first it was kind of uh sort of vintage lifestyle stuff like here's what i bought from the charity shop here's what i bought from the vintage fair and it's just very simple really simple stuff nice photos days out that i might have been on or museums that i might have been to just really just bog standard lifestyle chat really yeah. but because i was kind of at the time i would got like a one-year-old 
and we were living somewhere and I felt quite isolated and I didn't really have that many friends around me. Uh, so I found, oh, I found I was making a lot of friends, new friends online, um, which was really quite alien at the time. And now it's, now it's normal. But at the time it was like, I know all these people, but I've never actually met them in real life. And then I did start to actually meet some of them in real life. And I don't know, I think having that blog did change my life in some ways because I'm not sure what I would have done if I hadn't had it. I would have needed to have some sort of creative outlet, but I really didn't know at the time what it was. And I don't think I did have postnatal depression or anything, but I don't think it was that far away from that either at some points where it's like, who am I? What am I doing? I've got this limpet attached to me like all the time. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, so it helped me come back to myself having that blog and helped me. And then I started to specialize in more stuff. And then when we moved house, I did start to do just basically cover what we were doing to the house. And um, that's when, yeah, I started making more money from it then. And it became more of a, a, a proper, you know, job and a proper sort of income in a way mm. until we'd sort of finished the house. Well, I don't, the house is never finished, but until we'd done as much as I wanted to share really. And I was like, I wanted to get into other things and I wanted more challenge because I'm that sort of person. I do like to have a creative challenge to sort of surmount or whatever. I'm that sort of person where I need that stimulation. But and doing the blog just on interiors, we started just to feel, started just to feel quite autopilot. It didn't start, there was no sort of quick, let's write this post out. And I could knock a post out in like 20 minutes with really nice pictures and it was all good. And it was like, oh, I've got to write this because this company sent me this. It's like proper first world problems, you know? It's like, how ungrateful do I sound even saying that? But when you, you kind of, it's easy to fall into the trap of accepting stuff for your house or to wear or whatever it is, or to talk about something and your heart's not really in it. And I think you need to, people you know you need to sort of get to that stage where you know you can hear yourself that your heart's not in it anymore and mine was getting less and less in it because I just thought it was it was when influence started influencers started to be like the next big thing and everyone became an influencer and everyone was sort of yeah check out this new toaster I've got and it was like anybody with could be an influencer and it just felt like there was so much consumerism I just felt like I was pushing this consumerism idea and I just didn't agree with that in principle of you know I was all about reusing stuff and trying to buy second hand and and the, and the more I shared about you know stuff that you do need to buy new for your house like floor or whatever the more the more companies would send me stuff to sort of say can you talk about this please can you talk about this mm. other thing and I was just I had to start saying no for my own peace of mind really, because it was just, I just felt like I was pushing the consumerism and that was just adding to the the strife of the, the world. You know what I mean? It's like, no one needs to buy another new toaster if they've had one for six months already. <laughs> you can just wait until it properly breaks, not because they need a new one, because it looks pretty. Reply, reply, you know to, I mean? reply to the manufacturer saying, no, just clean, just clean the crumbs out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm using toaster as just an example, but you know, you, you get what I mean. It's like I do get what I mean. Yeah. And, and I think what I what I was seeing in in the circles I was in at the time is that there were some people that were redecorating whole rooms in their houses 
purely to then share it on Instagram and purely to get more stuff. So it was just this big cycle of mm -hmm. if I decorate this room new, I can ask for this, this and this from that brand and I know I'll get it for either a heavy discount or they might send it for free. Um, but they would do it repeatedly again and again and that just, oh, I'm on this room again now, you know. <laughs> a year later i'm doing this room again i don't really like it i never liked that anyway mm. and you know it's like there was a lot of people doing that and I, I don't know if they still are because i did a big sort of unfollow thing where i was like i just don't want to be part of that i don't want to be influenced by that myself you know mm -hmm. and um that was at the, the time when i started getting more into writing fiction because i realized that i wanted something more me and that more that i was that was under my control if you know what i mean mm -hmm. i could create these worlds and i could be in control of it completely whereas in the outer world it felt like someone was controlling us you know what i mean it's mm -hmm. kind of well know. yeah it, it sounds like i love stories like that because um well first of all I, I love stories that are kind of on an interesting timeline so like you know i've, I've talk to people who've stepped out of uni and, and fallen right into something that was perfect for them and, and has remained perfect for them for a long time. And then I talk to people and I'll put yourself in this bracket who've, who've kind of taken a long road as in they've gone with something mm. and they've changed and they've used, yeah, and, and, and that's what happens. Everyone's got a different timeline and I think that's what's interesting. And, um, and I like what you said about it. It sounds like it's something you started just because you enjoyed, you know, like the vintage stuff or the, yeah. And, yeah, what, yeah. and you were into what you were doing and you realized that other people had an interest in it. So brilliant. Well, what's not to love about shit about. Yeah, that's exactly it. Too. But then by the end of it, it sounds like it, it, it almost like you say, you'd lost control of it and it becomes something where people expected certain things. Mm -hmm. But then, but then how else are you going to get where you're going? If, if not for the feelings that you experienced there and that, trajectory you know I yeah. think you, it has to happen that way in order absolutely. to absolutely yeah. and that takes time and I sometimes think people are too kind of they feel like it goes back to the failure thing the mis like the misperception of failure you know the whole thing a failure in working a retail job or is it a failure because it's taken me a long time whereas that person went no we're all on different timelines the answer is always no in that regard and I think but you, but you only get to wherever you are by paying attention to feeling so if you, like you say, if you kept churning that out and going, I used to love this. Why am I, you know, why am I feeling cold about this now all of a sudden? Mm. And you're not listening to what's going on inside. That's when it becomes dangerous and you can get locked into something that really isn't you and becomes destructive. And Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. It's, um, I mean, it's obviously such a personal thing and some people do really enjoy sharing that sort of stuff and do really enjoy renovating the house. And I'm not, I'm not kind of saying that they shouldn't do that. I'm mm -hmm. just saying that wasn't for me, yeah. you know, to me, and it's like, I want to renovate this lounge or renovate this dining room or whatever room it might be. And then I don't want to do it again. I don't want, you know what I mean? I've got other things I want to do. I've got bigger fish to fry. <laughs> I don't want to just keep redecorating my house. Yeah. Um, do you, do you do you whittle it right down to the point where you're then like getting macro shots of the blue loo in your toilet, you know, <laughs> because nothing else is because nothing else is changing. <laughs> yeah. oh, Here's the latest cardboard cylinder from the toilet roll. You know? <laughs> but you know, no, joke, oh. joke, joking aside, though, I, I like that because it's something you did it, you wore it, and you and you and it took you to the next place, you know. And I think mm. that's that's just key. We're always moving you know, somewhere. But like you say, there's no right or wrong with any of it. It's only, only you can know that success is always yeah. relevant. I think I, I do sometimes think to myself, uh, 
So how long is this writing thing going to last then, Susan? You know, and but then because it does seem from an outsider's point of view, perhaps that I've just gone jumps from all these different things. But to me, it just seems really, it seems logic. It's like logical to me. It's my own logic, if you know what I mean. It's like everything I've done has been creative. It's just all been a different sort of facet of creativity, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And even now when I'm writing or editing or whatever it might be, or getting a cover sorted or whatever it is with regards to my books, it's still really exciting. And because I've got 100% control, or because I'm self-published, you can't you can't buy that kind of um, thrill. Almost, it's like it's such a thrill to sort of say, right, I know what cover I want. I'm going to have this sort of thing, and I know I've seen so and so does that sort of work. I'll approach them and ask them. And you know, you couldn't do that if um, if you were traditionally published, really. But it's kind of it's just such a, a privilege to be able to make those decisions about your own book. But it's just feels really powerful as well. It's like it's empowering for yourself. And I think it I think it inspires other people that are around you as well when they see, oh, you know, so and so's done this. Look at the amazing book she's created. Yeah. Or, you know, when Ben's done these all these different ebooks and, you know, audio as well. It's like, look at what he's done, he's done it on his own. It's like quite inspiring for people to to see that. And it makes them think, you know, perhaps I could do that as well. And then they could yeah. all join our revolution. <laughs> self-publishing revolution so what, what what i'd like to ask what i'm interested in so you know i know i will talk about earth, earthly bodies and your kind of way starting with the writing in a minute but what i'd like to ask is have you might sound like a strange question but have you been writing had you been writing for a long time prior to that in in other ways if you know what i mean because i look i look back now i started writing fiction when i was oh only two or three years ago so let's say 35 36 um, but Ray, I'd been writing and loving writing and characters and storytelling for a long, long time since it's my earliest love, really, in terms of the arts, like all of the things that I was into right from kids, cartoons and storybooks up until overheard conversations on a bus or whatever else. In my head, I've been creating characters and writing stories mm -hmm. or in text oh, yeah. messages to friends for a long time. I would hazard a guess that you don't go from zero to earthly bodies without that your own version of that trajectory would I be right in that yeah uh, totally yeah totally similar really um I'm always making up always making up stories about like just random like passers-by I'll say oh look at him I bet he's so-and-so I bet he's just this is just you know just so-and-so this has just happened to him and look at his face he looks really sad <laughs> or you know and I'll just be talking about it with the kids and we'll just be sat in the car or you know watching people or in a coffee shop watching people go by and I can't help but make up those things about people it sounds a bit strange but sometimes part of me thinks that I'm not making them up that I'm just reading the person you know what I mean? And that sounds totally mad. It's like some sort of, yeah, that's exactly what they are like. And for me to actually then chat to them and find out that they're not like that would be like, you know, a big reveal. <laughs> but um, sometimes it's almost so convincing that I feel like it's the truth. I know, obviously, that's impossible to know. But um, yeah, very much so. Very much always been a big people watcher, or, you know, since I was little and very much been telling stories. I remember my dad bringing home, because my dad was like big on car boots, like every Sunday morning to be at the car boot. 
and I would say to him, I really want the laptop to write write stuff on. Um, and I don't know, it might have been like, I don't know. I think it's when laptops are quite new, you know, like in the 90s or something. Um, and it brought me this laptop home from a car boot sale. It just was the most basic thing you'd ever seen. Like really one of the, I don't know, it might be even like an early Apple one, but it just did not work. But I would just sit there pretending that I was like writing a book. <laughs> It lasted for about two weeks and I was like, Dad, this is not working. <laughs> Can you fix it? And he was like, no, I can't fix it. I'm not, I'm not that clever, you know. But um, yeah, things like things like that for sure, always. And my kids are the same, really, especially my eldest. She's very much sort of, she'll sort of take the thread that I might start. Oh, look at that person. What do you think they're like? And then she'll be like, oh, I think they do this. And I think this is their hobby. And they've got a pet at home and it's got, you know, like very much... Sort of, sort of character development but you know it's a bit, bit harder things sometimes but to me it's normal <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely no it's it was uh oh god i mean yeah like, i've been fortunate enough to have friends who were very open and honest and we've and, and they've just fostered that in me from you know that's sort of, not a badge of honor but they celebrated those oddball traits and it, it just became a good thing to wear them you know for me i'm very lucky in that regard um, but but yeah, I just found it really interesting in my own circumstances that it took me until 35, 36, a little sooner with the nonfiction stuff because it was it was the the negative feelings around freelancing as a creative that mm. had to come out of me. I was so frustrated having had two good years at the start to hit some dry spell yeah. and challenges. Um, and this is another thing I've been writing about is about the value of uh, of all the, that negative spectrum of emotions. And the thing is, you can't manufacture them. You can't, you know, you can't wake up and go, right, I need to be frustrated today. It's it a frustrated, it tortured artist. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. But there is innate value in all of the negative like spectrum of emotions for creativity. And that's what I realized in that, you know, I'm sat there bashing out these angry blog posts on Tumblr with about mm. four, four other freelancers reading them and then coming and asking if I'm all right. <laughs> but ultimately, <laughs> yeah, but then ultimately it was like, oh, but I'm doing this thing from a very natural place and actually really liking it. And, you know, it, it isn't about me, but it's like, uh, did you find the right thing once you actually decided to start writing? Did you, did it come quite naturally? Well, I think, I mean, I think like you, I was writing, I wouldn't even call it nonfiction. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, on a blog, you sort of just write. It's like almost like a diary. That's how mine started off. So I'd have posts, maybe about 500 words. Some were a bit shorter. Maybe the average is about 500. Sometimes it go up to a thousand words. And um, so I was writing and it was always that practice of writing where I'm sat down and I'm going to write it was almost like an extension of having a diary because I've always been somebody who's had a paper diary um not really sort of today I went for a walk not that sort of diary just like an actual I need to organize my life diary you know yeah. so I know what I'm doing each day uh, but I do keep a, I do sort of have always had notebooks and I've always had diaries and I've always had paper where I'd be writing thoughts down or maybe not even in any coherent way but just to get it out um like sort of like journaling I suppose and and then the blog writing was just sort of getting that to a standard of of written text where you know I've not written anything for years so then I started writing again I was like oh my spelling's not that great or my punctuation needs a bit of work or and that was almost like practicing just getting better at just writing generally and then I did actually win a bit of an award, uh, Interior Blog Awards. I got 
uh, second place for best written blog for one year. So I thought, oh yeah, some people like my writing then. So it's not just me thinking I can write a blog post. But then, um, but then yeah, with, I did have, I ended up, one of my friends was also pivoting at a sort of similar time. There's a, there's a few like in my little circle of blog friends live all, all over the country. Um, that was sort of all feeling the same at a similar time. Like, I don't want to be part of this anymore. It's all getting a bit busy and consumerism and all mm. that sort of stuff. And we're all worried about the planet and everything. And uh, she was pivoting to be a coach. She was training to be a coach and she needed some guinea pigs. And she's like, do you want to, shall I, do you want to be a coach? You know, six sessions. Uh, and I'll, as long as you give me permission to write about, about it, about, how we've talked about and stuff, not like confidential stuff, but you know what I mean? She yeah. had to sort of write about it for a course. So I did six sessions with her and I went from at the start of this, I think it was like, was it late 2017? Um, around then anyway, uh, I started with on this, with talking to this friend, this coach saying, um, I don't want to do this anymore, but I don't know what I do want. And I, at the time, I think I, I think I said I wanted to do an interiors book, like because that's kind of what I thought. That's what I saw online. People have, that have been doing what I've been doing. That was like the next step. That mm -hmm. seemed to be what everyone was doing. That was their next step. This is I'm going to do a book on interiors. I'm going to do a book on slow interiors. I'm going to book on do plant interiors. And I was like, yeah, that's what I think my next step is. But then by the end of the sort of sixth session, even before that. It was like, no, I don't want to do a book on interiors. I want to just make my own world up. I want to just, just make, and just, and that's sort of when I realized that I do want to have sort of my name on something, almost like a legacy in a way. Um, but I wanted it to be what I wanted to create and not have to rely on other people to sort of help me create that. Cause with stuff like interiors, you need a photographer, you need, you know, all this other stuff. Um, but so the writing side of it, the fiction side sort of came quite, I think I'd read Stephen King's on writing actually around this same time. And he's very much, you probably read it. Yeah. Have you read it? Yeah. He's very much like really anyone can do it. Anyone can write. You just need to read enough. So I was like, right. Okay. Anyone can do it. He thinks I can do it. I'm going to do it. So it's very much sort of like, I'm just challenging myself again. It was, it was finding, it was finding something that was challenging and something that was exciting to me that I could see, I could do this. You know, I could, I could plot my course and end up getting that. And that was the prize. And at that point I was very much like, I want to get an agent. I want to be traditionally published. I want to be like, you know, have the kudos of having all that with me but now you know after especially after what I've just said about me being my own boss it's like it was always destined to be mm. self-publishing it was always going to be the right um way for me to do it because I'm my own boss and I'm very much I'm a self-starter and I do know what I like and I, I know what looks good and I've, you know you've got a fine art degree you know how to you know how to make a book well, maybe not sell, but you know, to make it look good at least. So it might sell. Well, you seem to have a good respect of the the you know what the people you need to work with. You know, your your book looks amazing. Like the cover's great. You've clearly gone and worked with someone who who is you know specialist in that, a designer, mm. and um, and got that done. So, you know, it's not like you're going in gung ho and going, I want a book out. I want a book out now, and I want to do everything. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was, definitely wasn't like that. It was more just like, I need to get the book sorted first. And then the more I was getting sort of no's from agents or send me your manuscripts and then a no, you know, we really like it, but we can't find a space for it at the moment. Or um, I'm not a specialist enough agent for this sort of topic. There was a few I got like that. But this, you know, everyone seemed to like it. And I just got to the stage where it was kind of, these people all like it. I've had a couple of beta readers who've liked it. The editor that I worked with, she really liked it. And it, and I just got to the stage where it'd be a shame if I just let this go and not, um, you know, share it with the world. You know, and it sounds it might sound really cheesy that, but it got that's how I ended up making the decision because I did get an offer from an indie publisher, but there was a slightly. Um, slightly dubious about their sort of credentials. So I, did, I said no, and I was like, well, if they want to publish it then, and then I just got to the stage where I was like, I should do this myself. And I know I could do it myself. It was just a case of biting the bullet and just doing it then. Mm. So where did it, let's talk about uh, Earthly Bodies and so it's your first novel. And um, what was the, what was, what was the starting point for that? Um, I think I, was doing that coaching that I just spoke to you about. Um, and I think already I had, well, towards the end of that anyway, I had just had a couple of ideas in my head about, um, it's, you know, I'm very much into the alien films and if you probably might be able to see some similarities in earthly bodies from those films. Mm -hmm. That's some of my favorite films and just the themes around those, even the other, ones the the newer ones I just had this idea in my head about how you would transport people from one place to another and how you would how how all these films and books sort of try and explain that you know even like interstellar like what sort of method are they using to transport people through this massive amount of time but then they're still waking up looking the same you know so I was very interested in that idea to start off with um and I was just toying around with different ideas for that in my head. And in the end, that didn't really become a large part of the book, but that was like the starting point for me where I was just interested in um, what changes could happen, what things could go wrong while people were in this sort of incubation, for what a better word. Um, and that's when I started to think about, oh, what, what could go wrong? And then I started to think about, um, you know what, I don't know if I should say it because it might be spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's kind of where it started. So very much influenced by um, sci-fi films, but also the sci-fi horror sort of, because films can be, films can be a horror, but it's in a science fiction setting. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like untangling those genres from each other to sort of understand what I was almost trying to write, if you know what I mean? Yeah. Because there are elements of it that are quite um, weird, for what of a better word, they're quite sort of body horror. But at the time when I was writing it, I didn't really, I genuinely, at the time when I first was writing it, I just was calling it sci-fi to everybody. Anybody who had asked me what I was writing, I just said sci-fi because I didn't really know at that point what it was. But also I didn't really know much about genre either. I don't think I hadn't really studied it or decided for myself what was in what genre and mm. how to kind of use genre as a, as a marketing tool. I wouldn't use, wouldn't know about that really till later on, but 
Yeah, so I very much said, oh, it's a sci-fi. But now, when I realise, especially after having edited a few times and my editor's feeding back to me, you know, one of them actually said, oh, it's eco-horror. And I was like, is it? <laughs> it's like, is it? <laughs> Thanks, I'll use that. <laughs> it sounds great, but it, and it is. But yeah, you, isn't it funny how you have no idea about these? No, it's it's hard because you're so in you're so into it. You're so you're living it, aren't you? You're like in the book, and you can't. It's like you can't see, literally see the wood for the trees because you're so deep. You can't step back. And did you, were you a kind of meticulous planner, or did was there a degree of it writing itself? Because I've been shocked at just. Again, going back to Stephen King, I think it might have even been in that book on writing where he said that if, if I'm not you know, surprised and entertained by my characters, why would the reader be? So I don't like mm. to have everything meticulously drawn up and someone might be, you know, I might be disappointed when a character turns out to be an asshole and I wanted them to be good. And I, I could never get my head around that. But then when I started writing, I, I was stunned at how it would go a different way from what I'd sat down to do or how, you know, that would. That would so do, do you, would you say you're a plotter then? Would you plot? I have a I have a skeleton of an idea usually. Yeah, but in you just in your head, or do you actually write it down? No, in my head, I never yeah. write never write my plots down. But once it starts coming out on the page, I'm I'm often shocked at how it ends up in a completely different place. But yeah. everyone's looking to that degree. How was it with you? Definitely a pantster. I, like like similar to you, it's like what the hell is this? And just going with it, writing it, just coming out. Um, but. But I think I got to about halfway and then I was like, oh, hang on a minute. What? <laughs> you know, because because in, in Earthly Bodies, the, the, the big thing with the edit, apart from just figuring out what point of view I was writing from, which person, which was really annoying. But um, the big thing with the edit was getting the timings right because it's all different sleep cycles. And that was like, why have I made this debut novel, the first book I've ever wrote, really difficult for myself? I've got sleep cycles, I've got different dates in the future, I've got dates in the past, I've got different points of view for different characters. And it's like, of all the, you know, the difficult things that you probably shouldn't do in a first book, I basically did them all. <laughs> I'm so sorry, it was so hard, it was honestly... When I realised that I'd done that, I was like, oh, God, I'm just going to have to go with it now. But, you know, it didn't intend for it to be, like, difficult to edit or difficult to sort of grapple with. But very much it was sort of a panster thing. And I got to about sort of maybe halfway, two-thirds. And then I, I sort of sat down and just put a pause on it and just sort of try to sort of plan it out a bit more. So, because it was almost, it got to the stage where it's sort of spiralling out and... Mm. And it kind of, I was, I mean, you lose control a bit, but I felt like I was losing control too, too much, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, and in the end, there were a few sections that I ended up moving around because it just worked, you know, but you don't, you do that in the edit, so it worked better. So, but in the original draft, it might have been like it was in a different order, hmm. but um, very much a panster. But I do, what I do do is actually have, um, because I, I do use Pinterest quite a lot. I had all these secret boards, secret pin boards. And they were, they helped me with like the, the visuals and helped me with descriptions. So I'd have like a board for the location, the main mm. location. I'd, I'd have a board for the ship, how I thought the ship would look in my mind. And then I'd have a board for each character. 
these would just be images that I'd either found on the internet or um, images of characters from films where I'm like, yeah, I kind of liked her character in that film. She can add, she can be added to this board for this character. And it wouldn't be like I was sort of copying those things. It'd just be like, if I was stuck on a particular thing, I would go back to that pin board and I'd be like, oh yeah, she, she likes this. She likes cats or she yeah. likes whatever it might be, or, or that's really bleak, that, that location. I need to stop talking about trees because there clearly aren't any there. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's that sort of, I found that helped, but and I suppose that is kind of like a plan, but it's more like a visual aid yeah. for one of the best, yeah, you know? It's, it's got like guardrails, but it's also what I like, um, it's like you say, it's good to get the organic thing down and let it flow and let people behave as they will. But at some point along the way, of course, you have to start to look at plot, you know, um, arcs and and you know and tidying and moving things around. Of course, once you have, once you get to the editing, which I actually quite enjoy that side of it as well. I definitely enjoy it. I think I just every time I write something that's longer than a short story, or even with some of my short stories, I end up starting in one point of view. And then ended it in another point of view. And it's like, <laughs> oh, which one's better? And I always do it. And I can still, it's still, even now, it's like, it'll be something that I know I'll need to look at. It's just one of the, one of my traits, if you want, you know? Yeah. I'll start in third, I'll end in first, or whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I found it, um, there was something you said, I was, just, I was when I was researching, I listened to another podcast you've been on, and there was something you mentioned about, like right into a soundtrack and this is um something i've been quite interested in recently is tapping into the right energy for whatever it is you're creating and obviously we don't always have the optimum things available but i was listening to a podcast with um chuck planyuk who wrote fight club and he was talking about how two of his place, favorite places to write are in airports and in hospital emergency waiting rooms <laughs> just imagine him sat there like writing yeah. And he's like, like, oh, bleeding. Well, he said that, you know, he said there's just this frenetic, um, urgent energy where there's no dominant form of media, as in there's no TV screen in the hospital emergency mm -hmm. waiting room and, and people are quite stressed. So you just get to hear all this language. And he was talking about how when he looks up, he'll, um, you know, if he needs a certain gesture, uh, he'll look up and invariably he'll be able to see someone yeah, doing yeah. that. It's, it's, all like a it's very heightened, isn't it? It's also heightened emotion, heightened. Yeah. And when of, you read Chuck that's Trent, very much uh, him, isn't it? It really is, yeah, the way he writes, and it just makes so much sense. And then, you know, of course, that then got me thinking about the times that I've been on megabuses doing illustrations and things. And luckily for me, you know, again, it's that it's got that raw, urgent immediacy. Um, but then, yeah, I found that interesting what you said about soundtracks as well, and, and about creating an aura and, and immersing yourself in that environment. I think that's a valuable piece of advice. I think I got to the stage when I was writing it was that. I didn't want to lose the momentum of writing that first draft because if I stopped, I didn't know if I was going to restart it. Well, not that I didn't know, but you know, you don't know because it's your first time you've ever done it. So you really don't know, do you? So you just have to kind of keep going. Mm -hmm. And I just thought if I can do a thousand words each day, that will, I then calculated when I was going to be able to technically finish. So I would mark on the calendar. If I do a thousand words each day, I'll finish the first draft by, I don't know, end of May or whatever it was. And it just, because I had those dates in mind, it gave me like a target to, to make sure I was pushing myself each day. And I'd find, I think I found a track that was just like some non-audio sort of, 
I don't know what it's like a background thing. It was just an hour long and I got quite good and I could basically write a thousand words in an hour, which I got it, I built it up to that. I mean, that's not normal for me at all. Believe me, that was like once I'd sort of got that muscle and I'd been able mm. to keep doing it, I'd eventually be able to do that. Um, but it did just help me having a particular track associated with that book or associated with that intensity of writing. Mate, it was like Pavlov's dogs, isn't it? It's like you're almost training yourself mm. to hammer it out while you're hearing that. And then as soon as that track's finished, you can go up and make a coffee or, you know, yeah. whatever, go for a walk or whatever it is. Yeah, very much so. And I think that's a really healthy exercise as well, like you say, to create almost a, a little a mini deadline. A series of mm. recurring mini dead, deadlines. I'm trying to do it at the minute. Whereas if I if I think I've got to go and write this eighty thousand word nonfiction book, but I've also got parenting to do and the rest of it, then I just won't do it. It'll be this thing that gets pushed back and back. Whereas, like you say, bite sized chunks. I'm finding a thousand words a day thing is about right for the moment as mm. well. You know, that's what if I go and get if I can get myself in a coffee shop by about nine o'clock. Generally by half ten, eleven, I can I can hit anywhere between a thousand and two thousand words. And there's going to be a lot of editing and tweaking to come back to yeah. there is with any book but it's a great yeah. feeling when you start to see that word count gradually going yeah, up yeah really it really is it, it becomes really is. it becomes addictive doesn't it yeah i think that i think it's good in that way though because then it gives you the impetus to carry on because you know that you're going to do it mm -hmm. and you know that you can just be like even if you can say nothing else you can say you've written a book at the end yeah. I've written a book and you haven't, haha. -ha. You know, it's like that sort of <laughs> so I've done this and you haven't. But um it just make it does make you sort of because it's it's almost like and I would also for earthly bodies, I should do this again really with what I'm doing at the moment, but I made sure I was giving myself like little rewards as well. So when I got to like, I don't know, halfway, I'd buy myself something and I'd promise myself this. I think it was like a Fleetwood Mac LP, you know, vinyl thing. And I promised myself I'd have that when I got to 40,000 words. So I bought it myself. And then the thing I was going to do for the next 40,000 words, when I got to 80, was like, go for a spa day. Yeah. And I made sure I booked it with my friend. And it was like a real sort of incentive for me to, nice. to get there. Do you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. not, you know, not everyone can do that. And it, but it, it did help me to know that I was going to get some sort of reward. You know, it's almost like gamifying it, isn't yeah. it? I think it's great. I think you and, it, and you remind me of, and I always go back to this episode of the podcast, but I had a lady on called Lauren Kelly who um, is brilliant and she's a behavior designer and I'd never come across that term before, uh, but she's wonderful. And it's all about that. It's all about working backwards. So being really honest about your strengths, things that might trip you up as weaknesses or distractions mm. or whatever it might be and creating, um, you know, putting just designing and putting things in place that will encourage a, a more positive outcome and I think that's great and then it just gives you something to be more accountable and to work towards and yeah you say a little rewards I think that's brilliant you know it's uh, it's it's a simple tool but it's it's a good one and it means that you're working yeah. on something I think what was going to say then oh I don't know it's gone now but, so um, go in terms of um Earthly bodies then, would this have been the first thing that you had that was like the first creative output that you had that was critically reviewed? Because I found that slightly daunting at first. I'd come from, uh, 13, I'd come from 13 years of, of kind of hitting briefs and, and you know, and making a certain client happy that they knew their audience. So it wasn't really yeah. on. But, you know, of course, some people would be like, I prefer somebody else's work. That's fine. But, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, when no. I was working on the blog, I did have 
you know, sometimes I would get a brief and it would have to meet that client's wants. They'd have to, you know, mention this or have this link or, you know, whatever it might be. So I, I can appreciate that. And I think unless you count like art crits at the end of each week when you're at university and everyone just wants to go home and we're yeah. all talking about each other's <laughs> artwork. Um, which is so dull, but and so you know, also necessary. But it was the first. I think it was the first piece I'd had out in the public where someone could critique it. I mean, anyone could write a horrible blog comment, you know, on my blog. This and the comments are open, so there was always the chance of um, the public not liking something or somebody being hypercritical in some way mm. but this was the first product really like you say that i could it was going to go out there and it could just just totally flop and i was just like well i i believe in it so yeah i'm just gonna have to go for it yeah you know, i'm not gonna know otherwise you know I, I guess in that regard it's no different to fine art in a way is it because it's subjective and it's mm. and you know that it's written to a good level you know that you believe in it and and therefore so be it you, you, there's a degree of having to let yeah, go yeah i think you just yeah you just have to remember and it's easier said than done you have to remember that you're not creating work for everybody you know that's you're not creating coronation street or eastenders even that isn't for everybody is it because i hate it yeah. but um <laughs> it's like you're not creating work for the masses you're creating work for like you know quite a niche number of people really i mean i know horrors horrors getting bigger than it has been for a while i think at the moment there's quite a lot of you know there's quite a lot of horror books coming out and it just feels like it's a real um genre that's really thriving at the moment i think mm. so it feels nice to be part of that even yeah. if i'm just on the on the fringes but it's nice to sort of have you know contemporaries reading your book or whatever it's nice it's a nice feeling it is isn't it it's, it's brilliant and um it's a great pause because it's so personal isn't it writing and um mm. No matter how far away from you the characters you're writing or the world you're creating is, it's still yours. So your creation. Yeah, there's obviously there's going to be elements of yourself in every character. I think of you're not going to put your whole self in the character, but there'll be elements of you of yourself in every character that you create. Yep. Otherwise, how would you create it? You know. Exactly, undoubtedly, yeah. Well, and, and so you've got a short story collection coming up very soon. Yes, I have. Uh, that's exciting because. Um, I think we were saying earlier, it's quite difficult to market compared to earthly bodies, but um, I'm obviously looking at people that have already into my work. So that is like your first, my first port of call anyway, mm -hmm. is people that I already know that are going to enjoy it. And then um, just trying to get some reviews where people, so people spreading the word by word of mouth, because I'm not got into sort of looking at ads or anything yet um i think i will when i've got the pre-order of the ebook up but um yeah it's exciting I'm, I'm excited about it i'm just i'm trying not to sort of get too carried away because at the end of the day earthly bodies is the novel and i don't know i think people would be more inclined to read a novel sometimes than a collection of short stories but then again short stories are having a bit of a renaissance as well aren't they so yeah we're yeah. just gonna just gonna say it's all everything i think if, it feels like in the self-publishing world everything you're doing is almost like an experiment to see what happens it's like oh this time i'm gonna not try that service i'm gonna use this service or this mm -hmm. time i'm gonna just push it on tiktok and just forget facebook or and yeah. each time you're sort of doing it 
I mean, obviously this is only my second time, but you measure, you're almost getting a feel for what works for you and what works for your audience and where your audience are. Yeah. Um, but the first, obviously the first time you do it, you're almost, you know, maybe not doing it to a complete empty room, but cause you and I were both had a bit of a, you know, a following before we weren't just sort of, you know, somebody without a following and then they brought a book out. Yeah. We both had sort of, you know, people who enjoyed what we were talked about already, didn't we? So it was like, it wasn't just like a, a vacant, empty car park. There were people already <laughs> there. So waiting yeah. to see, we'll see what we'd done, you know? That's it. And it's interesting seeing which of those are interested in a new thing as well. Mm. So it's called Dark is the Water, which is a great title, by the way. Thank you. And there's was yeah, it um, and other weird it's, tales. It's that's yeah, it's that's that's it. It's um yeah, it's quite I suppose some of them are quite personal, but some of them are uh, written a while ago, um and have been published in other places. And it was just it's just nice from a personal point of view. I mean, never mind obviously I hope people buy it, but it's nice from a personal point of view to have my shorter fiction all in one place rather than trying to sort of grab them from here and here and this is where that one is and is that the website still even exist and trying mm -hmm. to you know put, get people to read it so it's nice to have it all in one place and um yeah it's a bit it's a bit weird a bit dark in places um and i, I am calling it horror but i think it's definitely sort of weird horror or surreal horror and yeah like we've talked about the um the whole genre thing when you're trying to actually fit your book into a section on amazon can be a bit like well it's a bit that and it's a bit that so yeah. <laughs> i suppose yeah. yeah it's true it's very much horror I, I really enjoyed it and it's um yeah the body horror the body horror thing is very interesting too and um but i think it, i think it works it's like well we both studied in the same course didn't we for comma press in manchester and um like andy said at the start horror is a broad church and it really is it's thematic it's what's horror to you as a writer as well you know and what yeah and it's taking those fears isn't it and amplifying them in a, in a through a creative filter i think you know before i did that course um i'm not sure i really sort of knew the scope of horror in a way because i knew what i liked um reading and watching films and stuff but um i didn't always think of it as being horror but I, all the things that i do like are horror and i can obviously see that a lot more clearly now but i think i used to just um not really include them in horror because there might not have been that much blood or it wasn't a slasher or it wasn't mm. uh, particularly gory or it was sort of you know more sort of psychological but you know even there are so many stories that can be fall into the horror into that horror church that people don't think are horror until they really start unpicking what horror is you know yeah absolutely so I found that course really really good for it, even just just for that in itself mm. yeah like the yeah there was a story wasn't there, the, the lottery shelly jackson one which was um... yeah, i love that it was incredibly, you know, so real world that it's, that's, that's what I love to do. It's like so real world that it's in, in many ways more terrifying than anything supernatural ever yeah. could be. <laughs> and I think with that one, it's just the way it's written as well. Yeah. The way it's written with so, so, so much kind of clarity 
she's being really clear about what she's saying and she's not trying to really hide anything that's about to happen but she's just saying it without any judgment you know what I mean yeah. she's say she's telling the story without any shock or judgment whereas if you or I were telling that story about something we really knew happened we'd be telling it from with that sort of shock or you know mm -hmm. that was so terrible and yeah. she doesn't tell it like that does she she just says it's very matter of fact and this is this and that's yep. that and yep. that's what makes it more sinister as well in a way by the sense that you really start to get that there's something bad to come it's there's too late it's almost like that horrible yeah. when you get caught in a crowd at a gig or whatever and you're getting moved forward you don't want to be it's like that <laughs> it's been a while since i've been in that situation but yeah I know what you mean. <laughs> oh, but it is, it's a fascinating genre yeah and um it's i can almost as well if you thought about kind of right for screen or, or or having your stuff adapted for screen because it's something that I've got one eye on further down the line. I, as in fact, yes, um, I've got I've, one of my um, friends, I suppose, acquaintances, that's what I'd call him a friend, um, someone I met through in, Instagram, funnily enough, uh, he is actually a videographer and photographer by trade. And he is working on one of my poems, which I don't write much poems, many poems, but he's actually working on a short film based on one of my poems. Wow. It's like a very long-winded project and he's doing it sort of in his spare time. And we've had like one meeting about it and we sometimes share like ideas or whatever. But I've just literally left him to it. Um, because I just I know that he's really enjoying it and I, I'd be quite, you know, oh, this is a, this is a film based on my poems. So, you know, mm -hmm. what if I, I've got nothing to lose really. So he's just taken it and ran and I'll just let him get on with it. Um, and obviously there, if he needs any help or whatever. Um, but I have, I did do uh, like a screen horror screenwriting course last year or the year before, I think it was last year. And I've not gone back to it, but it was really, I really enjoyed it. And, mm -hmm. It was a fresh idea. She sort of gave us some prompts and we just had a a fresh sort of new idea that I hadn't worked on before or since. But in short, yes, I would love that. I would love, um, you know, Christopher Nolan or, um, <laughs> you know, somebody to pick up Earthly Bodies and say, oh, my God, this is my next Netflix show. You yeah. know, I think, like... it, I think I think I think it's got that scope. That, that, I mean, like I said to you before, I'm 40 pages from the end now and um it's certainly got that, yeah, it's got that gravitas. I think I could definitely see it working. I'd be, it'd be like, that'd be like an amazing, an amazing dream come true, that would be. That's kind mm. of the ultimate um, bucket list thing or whatever you want to, whatever you would call it, you know? Yeah. So if you know, if you know anyone on your contact list, Ben. <laughs> no, a free but again, copy. But again, this is the joy of doing this stuff, isn't it? You know, that's why I like to... Um, talk about all this stuff and and put it out there because you just you never know that you know that my whole career in a lot of ways has been quite random or seemingly so you know and just a case of putting things out there that i'm passionate about and connecting with people who who come out of the shadows for that <laughs> yeah. you know it's uh so I, I think once you get to a certain point you stop you almost take the limits off you know it's like early on it was like the idea of working for whoever WWE or having a book out there it all, it all seems so crazy and far-fetched when you don't have a single client and you're sat there mm. freezing in a cold garage you know and your skin it's like but then suddenly once you you know once you get a couple of things and you see that it's just it's possible because it's all out there I think you you know you just start doing it and not caring too yeah. much actually that's a question that's a question I'd like to ask you are you have you 
I, I switched from being quite goal-driven at a certain point. You know, I wanted this client and I wanted that client and I wanted that badge of honor. It wasn't bad because I got there with them. But when I got there, I realized it was I was by no means satisfied. And actually, I started then focusing on the week-to-week happiness and the creativity and the belonging and the bigger things that are more sustainable. Uh, how do you work in that regard? It's like, do you have big goals or do you, do you go with feeling or is it a mix? I, th- I think it's it was definitely previously like how you said really but I think you get to the stage where the grass will always be greener Mm. on that next thing and if you're not careful you'll end up just almost wishing your life away that for the next achievement and really you're sort of not even celebrating the achievements you have done Mm -hmm. because you're just you know so you're so sort of focused on the next thing that you're not even saying yes I've got a novel out or yes I've done this or wow I've done this Mm -hmm you're not taking the time to sort of pat yourself on the back almost and enjoy that what you have done so I totally get get that completely and with regards to goals I think I mean I've got three goals on my wall here for 2022 that also came from that um that Alessandra what's her name Torrid, Torrid. Anyway, the lady, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a Yorkshireman, so I, 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 I didn't pronounce certain surnames. <laughs> yeah, the, the lady that's the lady that talks about good Goodreads a lot. You can always put her name in the show notes. Yeah, it? I will. So my three goals are publish Dark is the Water, redraft novel two, and grow my mailing list to a thousand sub- subscribers. Mm-hmm. And then in brackets, I put sell more books. So that's always like a goal, yeah. obviously, because that's what you kind of yeah. want people to read your work. But I'm trying not to, I know that published Dark is the Water, I'll be able to tick that off next month, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm not, it's, I'm not giving myself goals that are stupid anymore. Yeah. Whereas I think I used to, I think I used to give myself things that were, I either used to give myself too many, like 10 or something, um, or I used to almost put them too high and too, so, not like I didn't think I could achieve it at some point, but I'm not doing the smaller things to actually get me to the, bigger thing you know because you come to realize that you have to do you have to build the structure before you can almost reach for the you know you've got to get that foundation right haven't you yeah before you can then start reaching for the really big things or whatever yeah you do I think that's a perfect example really you need you know it's good to, to, the things that are within your power to do through hard work and perseverance they're the goals aren't they to, because they're the ones that move you along and you work towards but like yeah the more intangible dreamier stuff it's I think it's yeah. I think sometimes there's nothing wrong with having those or thinking I'd like to do that but I think ultimately you have to just focus on what's making you happy and you know yeah exactly uh, and especially after the couple of years we've had I think I purposely made those I think pretty achievable goals you know I made them achievable because I thought you know I've moved house twice you know over a pandemic we've had a pandemic we're still in it really there's wars breaking out left right and center mental health is fragile for everyone I think and I just didn't want to sort of have that added pressure that I'm putting on myself you know of all the people to not put pressure on I should be able to give myself a break and try and look after myself and then you know if I can do more than that great Mm -hmm. but if I can only do that that's also great you know and try not to sort of put too much pressure on myself you know yeah well create I mean this is um a big thing that's come from writing this book but creativity and personality is there's a symbiotic relationship so if Mm. you're you know if you're tired if you're jaded if you're sad or stressed or whatever they might be um 
then creativity is going to follow suit because you're you're informing that with from a from a not very good base, not solid base, you know. So I think if you're energized and you're excited about the world around you and you're you're happy and you belong to things, then invariably you're going to feel good about creating and what you're making. So I I think you're absolutely right to take that approach. I think it's just yeah, you know, next year I might have crazy goals on the list, but this yeah. year I'm just trying to you know. Yeah. I think if you remain, I think if you remain fluid and you call the shots as you move, you know. So if you do hit one of those high energy periods where everything you're creating is turning to magic, and it's a really, why not? Why not have a few pot shots? You know, I, I do that when I when I hit some nice momentum and I'm feeling really good about my writing. I'll go and submit to like the New Yorker or something that I know is like a incredibly yeah. tiny percent of chance of being published, but not impossible. So why not be? Yeah, in you it? never know. Exactly. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I've got this idea in the back of my mind about wouldn't it be great to release a book every April, every year from like from when you first started and then just but the longer um the less the more slowly I go on this second novel, which feels very slow at the moment, um, with the edits, it's like, am I really gonna get this book out in April next year? And I shouldn't really put that pressure on myself to yeah. to do that. But it's nice to kind of have it in your mind to sort of, you know, to sort of motivate you in a way. But all because I do, I do work better to deadlines. But um, I don't want to put it on me so much where it's like if I don't do this, it's going to be like catastrophe. Yeah. You know, you need to sort of just get it in proportion. I think. And what yeah. would go? What would actually happen if I didn't bring another book out in next April? Nothing yeah. is going to happen except no. I might be a bit like, oh God, you know, like just, yeah. you know, so it's just trying to be, trying to make your life easy without pressurizing yourself, but also mm -hmm. still being able to meet deadlines and still being yeah. able to do stuff. You're right. Yeah. I think it's always good to preface it by saying all of these things we talk about with creativity have to come within the framework of the, our, our demand, you know, the demands of our clients and the need to pay our bills. And, you know, we're working with the same we're in the same system as everyone else. So we have to earn money to live. But I remember saying this to a friend of mine who was a, he's a painter, really good painter, but he was finding early parenthood very hard. He felt like he'd lost that part of himself and that the, the constant demands of parenthood, mm. um, he wasn't managing to get anything done. And I encouraged him to, to do what I'd done, which was have almost tiered lists of things to be on with so like you know what's then then you can make the decision according to your energy or how tired you are or what how much time you've got in a certain day so for example if you're completely shattered and you're feeling quite physically lethargic but you find yourself with two hours is there a very like admin kind of task that you can do that's just you can switch your brain off go through throw some names in a spreadsheet that's going to help you grow that database for example mm. or on the flip side if you've got a full day to yourself and you are feeling pretty good then you know maybe you can then get out that easel and do the bigger task that might feel more daunting i think it's about um you know within within those constraints it's about giving yourself the best chance of being productive no matter what the task almost yeah. so in your so in your instance with the novel it's like you know, if it's taking longer than anticipated, I'm sure there are a number of things you can do with your short story collection or earthly bodies. Maybe you pick up some envelopes and ping five copies out to a few film studios or people who might want to look at that in terms of screen. I don't know. I'm just, you know, firing these ideas out now. But I think sometimes... Making there, notes. Yeah, they're a little, like, climb-down tasks that yeah. you can do, you know. I think as well, just it's also about the non-negotiables. The non some things on your list are non-negotiable and you can't, You've almost got to do those first in a way, 
um, just I don't mean even just creative stuff. I mean, life stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes creative stuff does get pushed down and you just have to accept it and just know that you have, you know, it's like seasonal, isn't it? We all have times when we're going to sow the harvest and times mm-hmm. when we're going to actually bring the harvest in, you know, so it might just be a fallow period or whatever. But um, it's about sort of trusting yourself that, you know, that is still part of you, but it's just gone quiet for a bit or. Mm-hmm. having that sketchbook or notebook by the side of your bed so if you do get 20 minutes to yourself you can just write or sketch or yeah and just and keep it keep it ticking over in a way i think we're, we're a lot of us are guilty to some degree of putting this undue pressure on ourselves to all be always be creating always be putting something out there that we can share with the world whereas as we know the longer we work with creativity it's about your life it's about all your experiences and where you are and what you see and all this you know sensory input so if you're not out doing the mundane stuff where do you like like we said earlier about observing people characters and things like that Mm. where do you glean all that stuff from to feed the main game if you only ever did the main game you'd burn out because you're not getting the the right input whereas i did i had to go on recently you know that story i sent out with my mailing list the moonlighting with mandela one oh yeah that was just my last pair of jeans had gone like I'd left it, I'd left it far too late. I was down to two good pairs of jeans. The knees had gone on one from crawling around with the kids and then the crotch went completely on the other one. And I was, so I was out without a good pair of trousers. So I was like, so I like <laughs> went downtown in these horrible like grey slacks that I dug out of a wardrobe to buy some charity shop jeans. And that's where I saw Nelson Mandela's book in the shop window. And I don't know what connection that made in my subconscious, but that story just fell out of my face. Like I ran, yeah, to, I ran to a coffee like shop. I ran to a coffee shop and wrote that out there. And then after seeing that book, yeah, that's right. weird friend. But, you know, had I not had that mundane life task to go and do, I, that wouldn't yeah. happen. <laughs> yeah, that's sim- similar to, I was playing, um, I was playing charades with my two the other day, just at tea time. Um, and one of them was doing this, um, like, she's not very good, really. She's she's eight and she does like the same movement for every charade, you know, when they're just all like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What what film is that? Jurassic Park again. Um, but anyway, she was doing a different movement this time. You know, like they walk like a walk like a crab across the floor. Mm. Like, and they were trying to she's trying to be a spider basically. But it was just my eldest said something, and it just sounded like the perfect title for like a piece of flash fiction. It was just so obscure and but also um, sort of clear with what the, it was just like this brilliant title, and I was just like just say that again and I just wrote it down really fast and then I was like now my brain is kind of thinking oh what could happen with that side just loved the sort of the the phrase of how it was phrased and it's just those things whether it's from your kids or from the neighbors or somebody you pass in the street anything it's those things that you do get inspired by and whether it turns into a horror or a sci-fi or just some whatever it you know observant flash fiction piece is um is that is that bit's down to you isn't it is you just yeah. need the you need the sort of spark to kind of then go off on something don't you <laughs> you absolutely do and you can never predict where they're going to come so i think it's good no. to um not you know not feel guilty about doing other things in life apart from creating which you know and you can forgive anyone for doing it i've done it many times myself because we're you know fortunate that when you you know i hope at least when people are creating they're loving they're enjoying what they're doing you know therefore mm. you want to do it all the time but yeah i think yeah that's a great example the charades yeah <laughs> i think you need to i think there's that thing as well and it's it's just a, a bit of a cliche but you have to make sure that you're actually filling up your own cup as well you know with mm-hmm. actual making sure you're actually um 
able to create because you've got something to create from whereas mm -hmm. if you're totally depleted whether it's through childcare or your job you know your real job or whatever you want to call it um it's like if you're just depleted then you've got nothing left to sort of give to the notebook or the sketchbook or yeah. whatever it might be so you it's need true. to make sure you yeah, even if you're in that lucky position of doing what you love 24-7 and you're able to do it and make a living, if you want to do that, you know, you can burn out from that too. So Easily, yeah. I think you're right. You need We need the uh, the sphere of influence, don't we, and, uh, and broader life. I think it's good. Well, I've kept you quite a while, so I'm going to um, <laughs> wrap this up, but it's been really good. So where what where can people get the book and when is it out? Uh, that, the paperback is actually on pre-order now, but mm -hmm. only at Amazon, I think maybe elsewhere but it's definitely amazon with jeff bezos's house um <laughs> yeah so it's gonna fund him going into space and leaving all us here to die um and and then the ebook i'm gonna put the ebook up for pre-order about two weeks before it's due out so i think that works out as being next week the ebook's mm -hmm. gonna be available uh which will which is gonna be wide so it's gonna be on amazon and it's gonna be kobo apple books because i did wide with earthly bodies as well and it, i just prefer to spread my yeah spread my eggs rather than having them all with jeff yeah. um so so it'll be it's about two weeks but if you need to read about any of that it's on my blog which is my full name susan com. yeah and people can sign up to your social media as well and people can sign up to your newsletter yeah there. they can sign up on there um or if they want to go and find me on um social media there's usually a link to sort of sign up on there all the time you know because sometimes it's sometimes it's not always clear where to sign up but yeah. it is it is on if you find me on instagram it's on that top link super thank you for having me and earthly bodies is still available oh yeah earthly bodies is still available i am getting questions about it being an ebook i'm not an ebook um, an audiobook mm. uh, so that is on the back burner but it is on a burner it's not i do kind of want to get to it but um as you know i've got lots of plates so um i do want to do that <laughs> but i just need to figure out how i'm going to do it and with who yeah brilliant well it's been wonderful to chat and um yeah best of luck with the new release thank you for having me ben it's been really right. good it's a pleasure Thank you so much to Susan Erland for taking the time to chat. I hope you enjoyed that and do go and check out those brilliant books. Earthly Bodies is it's quite gripping towards the end. It's quite dark, There's some brilliant body horror in there. And as Susan mentioned, if you like your slightly sci-fi stuff, space-based stuff, it's knockout. It's really, really great debut novel. And I think it's also just a wonderful advert for the indie author market, you know? There's a stigma that's still attached um, that at times it's justified you know not anyone should just pump out any old book as an ebook and you know pop it on amazon and not get it edited and not find the right cover and all that stuff which creates a bad advert because of the lack of policing but what you find is there's some really really strong stuff where people have made that decision because they've got the network they've got the drive and they can do all the stuff that a publisher would do but not have to give away the crazy amount of royalties that you give away in a traditional book contract uh, and susan's a wonderful advert for that and for that reason she was listed in i believe it was 60 I think it was 60, top 60 indie books of all time on um, Readsy, which is a great platform, Readsy Discovery, real book nerd platform. And I don't think that's unjustified. I think she's a brilliant writer. It's a great idea. It's carried out in a really impressive 
different timeline format and I would recommend it wholeheartedly so thank you to Susan for taking the time her new book Dark is the Water and Other Weird Tales is out so let me try that again and Other Weird Tales is out 7th of April uh, it's available to pre-order as a paperback now it's also going to be available very soon to order as an ebook. so keep an eye on, on Susan's channel you can find the links in the show notes and find her over at Susan Erlen dot com uh, i hope you're all feeling good guys keep on creating um use your skills to get through these tricky times where possible i know for everyone that's not possible certainly the people caught up in this horrendous conflict and and other you know things going on in the world but where possible keep communicating keep expressing keep flying the flag for uh, positive expression and using our skills for greater good i think it's a really important time for us to speak about the things we care about and work with the people who can promote the right messages because God, don't we know it? The media is doing a good job of promoting the wrong messages. So let's counter that. Let's do some good. Thank you for listening to the show as ever. Thank you so much to the supporters, illustrationx.com, the Association of Illustrators, the AOI.com. And hit us up on social media at Ben Talon. Have a great week. Take care. Bye.